Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 256th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. We win! 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left. Good! Fred Brown looking. Oh, way to Worthy! Worthy five! The Hills are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. Technical They're out foul. of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. The party is ready to begin on Franklin Street. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national champion. Love guarded by Keels, gets a screen, pulls up for three. Got it! Caleb from straight away! This is the Four Corners Podcast. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys today to break down Carolina's non-conference schedule. The program officially released that on Wednesday afternoon, um, and it's a pretty daunting task for Carolina to navigate before they get into ACC play, so we're going to break down the schedule, look at the games that they got in November, the games they got in December, um, and talk about some of the talking points coming out of the schedule, but before we do that, we start every edition of the pod, as we always do, with our pod thought of the day. And we go to Henry Ford for today's uh, thought. And the car, the car inventor? Uh, yes. Wow. Um, and today's quote is, failure is only the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. And, um, you know, look, there's, there's no denying this team failed last year. And they fell flat on their face. One of the biggest uh, embarrassments in the in the history of the program. One of the biggest disappointments we've ever seen in major Division One college athletics. You're talking about a team that preseason number one, a heavy fa- a heavy favorite to win the ACC. Um, virtually every college basketball. Uh, expert had them penciled in to make the Final Four. And you go 20 and 13, you you don't even make the NCAA tournament, you skip the NIT to start rebuilding your program, and um, this is a good chance and and and, and, and the time for you to start a new opportunity, but do so more intelligently. And and I think you've actually seen some of the stuff that Carolina's done off the court, it's 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 really small, intra, uh, really small things. I've pointed out how if you see them releasing practice video, it's all the guys that are they're all wearing the exact same outfit. They got the same shirts, the same shorts. Um, the team they went on a a, a a trip or they went to the beach for a weekend. 
Um, and, and that type of stuff didn't happen a year ago. And it's the biggest reason why you could tell very on in the year this wasn't a group that was together. And basketball, as much as any other sport, because you got to play together on both sides of the ball, chemistry is really important. Carolina didn't have it a year ago. And whether Hubert Davis is forcing it or not, he's going to make sure they don't enter this upcoming year, especially with the non-conference schedule they have with no cohesiveness. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the biggest thing that we talked about last year with them when we felt like they were struggling the most was this just isn't a group that's together. They seem fractured on the floor. It just did not seem like the type of environment that you saw in the locker room the year prior where everybody was so close. And frankly, that's what we're used to at Carolina. I mean, look, there probably are other teams throughout the country, especially teams that are very heavy um, one-and-done type squads where, yeah, the cohesiveness never really builds that much. And I think part of that is why you've seen them struggle so much with, you know, being able to make runs deep in tournaments. Why you see some of these veteran teams make these deeper runs because of just how close they are as a team. And I think for this team, more more than last year's team, you needed this team to really grow close and do so over the offseason. Because look at how many new guys are a part of this team. Not just, you know, Zayden High, Elliot Cadeau. Look at all the transfers that Carolina's bringing in. And it's guys that need to contribute right away for you. Every single transfer they're bringing in, maybe outside of James Aconquo, they need to contribute immediately. Yep. So it's it's important for them to be able to not only get on the court and develop a relationship with these guys and establish a rhythm, but also to do it off the court, to, you know, really get close to these guys to learn you know some of the things that make these guys tick because the closer you are as a locker room the more success you are going to have so I I think the fact that we're seeing this and and you know maybe we're reading too much into this kind of stuff maybe this this is something that has been happening maybe it happened last year and we just didn't get told about it but it didn't seem nearly as public as it is this year. In the age of social media, I find it hard to believe that stuff like this went down last year without it being noticed. So it's it's a good it's good to see that there is clearly a focus on hey, we have to get back to being a tightly knit group if we want to start winning again. Yeah, no, look, I mean Hubert Davis could come out and say that this this team had chemistry and they were together a year ago. They weren't. It was evident on the court. Um, I think there was a game, I think it was at Wake Forest, where a game where Caleb Love got fouled and got fouled very hard. And none of his teammates went and picked him up. And there were other instances along the along the way where this wasn't a group that was together. And they need to be together this year, just given this non-conference schedule. Um, been following this program for over 15 years. In my, in my lifetime, they generally have played the toughest non-conference schedule of any Power 5 uh, program in the country. This might be the toughest non-conference schedule that I've ever seen be put before Carolina. And look, the good news is, is, that, is that they ease them, themselves into it. They open up the season November 6th at home against Radford. Uh, then they follow that up with a November 12th game at home against Lehigh. And then they they finish and then they have a November 17th at home against UC Riverside before they go to the battle for Atlantis. And from there, I mean it it, it really it really 
steps up. You open up the tournament against Northern Iowa, um, a mid-major, but a mid-major that, now granted, it's been almost seven years, but a mid-major that's beaten you. Oh, ain't guaranteeing nothing against them. So nope. We've seen that story play out. And then from there, I mean, it's the their next slate of games is as... It's tougher than any in-conference slate I've I've ever seen because they either, depending on what they do against Northern Iowa, they either play Texas Tech or Villanova, and the Battle for Atlantis also has, I mean, Memphis is there, Arkansas is there, Michigan is there. They got a a lot of NCAA tournament type of teams. And then they come out of that, and it's virtually less than a week later, you're at home, first ever ACC-SEC challenge, and here comes Rick Barnes in Tennessee, a team that, or a a coach that has owned Carolina basketball since he he left Clemson. Um, This was a guy that could never beat Clemson when he was uh, taking on Carolina when Coach Smith was still here. He went to Texas, enjoyed great great success against Coach Williams. He's gone on to Tennessee, and that success has followed him. You get done with that game. That's your last game in November. So your November slate is Radford-Lehigh, UC Riverside, the Battle for Atlantis where you're going to face at least one, probably two NCAA tournament-type teams, and then you host Tennessee in the inaugural ACC-SEC Challenge. Then you get to December. December uh, 5th, neutral court, UConn, MSG for the Jimmy V Classic, Mm. something Carolina hasn't competed in in quite a while. Second year back in MSG. We'll talk about that in just a minute. December 16th, so then then you kind of get a chance to catch your breath, but you're back, neutral site, Atlanta, Kentucky for the CBS Sports Classic. You get four days off before you're in Charlotte for the second-ever Jumpman Invitational against Oklahoma, and then you round out the non-conference slate, December 29th, at home against Charleston Southern. And there's going to be two ACC games that you will play at some point in December. Since since the conference expanded to 20 games, you typically have played at least two ACC games before the turn of the calendar. I, I believe the COVID year, just because they were trying to get all the games in, Carolina played more than two before the end of the year. But, I mean, when you look at that stretch of Tennessee, UConn, and then Kentucky, depending on what comes out of the back end of the battle for Atlantis, and in between the UConn and Kentucky game, I would imagine you will play at least one ACC game. That, that That's as tough a three- to four-game uh, stretch as Carolina has seen, including the ACC schedule that this team is taxed with every year. And every year we get the ACC schedule, we know from the first Duke game on, it's 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 basically murder's row. Like you're gonna play a lot of great teams in a short amount of time span, but just just the amount of brand power Carolina plays in that two to three week span and the non conference portion of the season is something I have not seen in my time watching college basketball. I mean, you're talking about three teams that could legitimately be in the final four at the end of the year. Yeah. Like you can make cases for all of them. I mean, look, Tennessee is one that you'd really like to say that Carolina can get that one. I mean, they are an ex- they're going to be an extremely talented team again this year, but they did lose some guys in the offseason, including Olivier Comois, who had a really good year for him a year ago. That game's in Chapel Hill, so that's one. If you're looking at that 
that that three game stretch right there, that's the one that you should probably feel most confident about, right? I mean, I guess it's not. And by that, I'm not saying I feel confident, but I mean that's one you've got to have on your home court. The next two, I mean, look, I think at Kentucky, I don't know. We never know what Kentucky is going to be these days. You have no idea. Do I think they're going to be world beaters this year? Probably not. It hasn't worked out. I mean, look, we we there was a point last year where Kentucky fans wanted John Calipari fired. And I still don't, I mean, he still doesn't seem to be in the greatest of graces with his fan base. So it'll be interesting to see where they're at coming in. The one that, to me, I mean, the, clearly the most difficult game in their non-conference schedule is is UConn. Like, not only are they coming off winning a national championship, I know they lost some pieces, but I got to be honest, I really don't think they got that much that much worse. I, I think they're a team that's that's primed to be in the hunt again for a national title this year. And the biggest thing is look at where the game is played. Yes, you had a great showing at MSG last year when you put, when you faced Ohio State. It produced one of the most iconic moments uh, in a press conference or, or, or a post-game uh, interview that we've heard from Armando Baycott. But I'm going to tell you right now, New York City is UConn territory. That is, I mean, anytime they go to the Garden, they pack that place out. So... That's going to be extremely tough. I mean, the battle for Atlantis, i, I got to be honest, that is one of the better fields that Carolina has had since they've been in, you know, since they've gone into that tournament. They've been in there a few times since it's, it's invention or whatever. Inception. Inception. There you go. Um... They, they they have produced. I mean, they've been right up there with Maui in terms of just how difficult their fields are. I think if you can avoid Arkansas, you probably feel pretty good about who you're drawing there. I, I get Memphis has a chance to be really good, but to me, I'm not as fearful as I used to be of being in the battle for Atlantis tournament. Looking at the field this year, now I could be I could be dead wrong. That second round matchup could be against a Villanova team that's now all of a sudden inspired under Kyle Neptune, although I find that hard to believe when he undermined one of his players and literally cost that dude how many spots in the draft than Cam Whitmore. I don't really know how many people are going to be motivated to play for him. Texas Tech, I mean, they're in a weird spot. So I, I think for Carolina, I mean, their expectation, right, should be to get to the final. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I I think for Carolina's standpoint, they're probably the expectation, no matter where they go, is is to win. This is a more nav a, a more manageable field. There have been some fields that the battle for Atlantis has put together with certain teams that Carolina has taken down there that you knew you weren't winning. Yeah, like, like when you went there in 2019 with as young as that team was, as inexperienced as that team was. And at the time, already as hurt as that team was, you knew Carolina wasn't going to win that event. And then when they went there in 2014, 2015, you, you know, you had uh, Florida was really good, UCLA was really good, but you got punked by Butler in the opener. So, and that, was, that wasn't that was a team ready to compete nationally. Like Carolina, I think, when you got 
the kind of the star power this team has and Davis and Baycott, you know, even though there's a good programs there, I think Carolina is going to be expected to, to win the tournament. Um, and, and that's going to be the expectation on my end. So, you know, when you just look at that stretch and then, you know, Tennessee at home, UConn, mm-hmm. you know, in, I guess, Big East territory, Carolina, to me, if, if, if that crowd's 50-50, I'm not going to be surprised. There's a large Tory mm. Hill contingent in New York City. because oh, there of, is, but there is a mat- – New York City, if they have a college team, it's UConn. Yeah, I mean, I but I think – and this is why I think Huber Davis is so focused on getting the program back there. There was a point in time – where Carolina played in in New York every year, mm-hmm. and, and that's and he's referenced that you know it was when he played there under Coach Smith they went to the Garden. Look at the, the just the ties that Carolina has to that area. I mean Frank McGuire built the '57 team with transplants from New York. Um, you look at some of the guys that Carolina's recruited; they're from that area. Hubert Davis wants that recruiting foot uh, footprint back. That way, he's getting some of that top talent imported here at here, here at Carolina. So, um, but no, I mean UConn is a team that's coming off winning a national championship. Has reloaded through the transfer portal. You got guys that are bench players that that would have been starters elsewhere um, a year ago. So they're not going to fall off the cliff. You never know with Kentucky, but it's Kentucky. Calipari is a heck of a coach, um, and it's always fun when those two teams do do, do battle. And then you know Oklahoma is a is a game that oh yeah you, you should win. But this is year three of Porter Mosier. I would imagine that that program kind of takes the next step he was supposed to take since getting hired away from Loyola, from Loyola Chicago. So there, there, there's a lot of sexy games on the schedule. Mm. Um, uh, the biggest thing that stood out to me, and we talked when the, whenever Huber Davis got hired, one of the first things I, I thought about was how does he put together his non-conference schedule? And because Roy Williams always made them play tough games. And there's no denying that this schedule is tough because you you play so many you play so many brands. But the one thing that's missing from this non-conference schedule that you you typically see and you have seen even under Hubert Davis in his short time as Carolina's head coach is there's not a true road game that Carolina will play in. Yep. And given the fact that Carolina will play, you would imagine, at least two ACC games before the turn of the calendar, one of them you would imagine is going to be on the road. It was you played one last year at Virginia Tech with the team that – while is experienced with 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 certain guys being fourth and fifth year players, there is an influx of transfers, up to seven of them on this roster. How how concerning is it that he put together this daunting of a non conference schedule, but all of the the highly competitive games are going to be on neutral sites where you don't have that 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 road environment that you're going to face whenever you get into ACC play. I mean, I, I don't know, because as you said, more than likely they're going to start with a road game in the ACC, and I'm going to tell you exactly where that ACC game is going to be. It's going to be in between the game against UConn and the game again against Kentucky. They're going to sandwich it right in the middle there because there's 11 days off. There's no way Carolina is going to have 11 days off at that point of the year, so... That's the thing. I I think that's the approach that Hubert Davis is taking. The one counter-argument that I would have to that, and and look, that's a valid thing to bring up because they have to win 
games in conference play if they want to make the tournament. The thing about the neutral site games, that's getting you prepared ultimately for the NCAA tournament. As well, well. Yeah, but you, you, the thing is, you got to make the NCAA well, that's, tournament. That's the thing. So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't feel overly concerned about it, mainly because I still feel like even with it being these neutral site games, as I mentioned, I, I think, and you could be right, it could be 50-50 in Madison Square Garden. I think it might be more like 60-40 in, in favor of UConn. Either way, it's still going to be a really tough environment to go into because there are going to be a lot of UConn fans there. Um, Kentucky and Atlanta, there are going to be a lot of Kentucky fans there too. There will be a lot of Carolina fans, but there are going to be a lot of fans for Kentucky there as well. So I think Carolina will get tested enough to where you should feel pretty confident with where they're at, depending on what they do. Look, if they come out and they lose in the second round of the battle for Atlantis and then they go on a three-game losing streak to Tennessee, UConn, and Kentucky, depending on if they have a conference game in between those two, I mean, we could be sitting here saying, look, it doesn't really matter if it's concerning or not. They They just lost all these games. But I think right now as we sit here, I feel pretty confident with the schedule that they have um, in front of them. I think it it gives them exactly what they need to be tested as they head into conference play. And I guess maybe part of it is that I, I do feel pretty good about where this team is at as a whole. I Like I've said, I think the roster construction, there were a lot of people that wanted to be very critical of it as it was coming together. But I think when you take a step back and you really evaluate it, and we weren't those people. We we at the time we were trying to say, look at some of the pieces that they're getting in here. But I think for people, if you step back and look at what this roster looks like right now, this is a roster that is capable of winning every single one of the games that's on the schedule. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It, it's a revamped roster. It's an overhauled roster. It's a Huber Davis roster. For the first time, and now what's going to be just his third year as Carolina's head coach, he has a roster that reflects his image, his vision for what his team looks like on the basketball court. And so, like, here's my thing. Um, I love that we're playing the big dogs because it's going to help you get ready for a grueling conference season. It gives you a chance early on in the in the year to get you some quad one wins under your belt, which was the yep, biggest reason why point. Carolina didn't make the tournament a year ago. Like if Carolina would have had probably they were 2 and 11 in quad one games last year. If Carolina's 4 and 9 they're probably in the tournament. Like like that's how close they were, but because mm-hmm. you didn't have enough quad one wins, you couldn't even really justify putting them in. That's why we both said on here, they're not a tournament team. You don't have the resume to be a tournament team. You win some of these games while let's say Tennessee or Kentucky are trying to figure it out. Well, if you find yourselves on the bubble, God willing, we're not in that situation again. But if that's where you are, those wins will probably help you push you over the top. But there is value in going and playing at a Wofford, at an Elon, at a College of Charleston. Huber Davis did his first year on the ground. That wasn't his schedule. That schedule was pretty much already set um, by Roy Williams. But there, there, there have been moments. There, there have been moments in those kind of instances in those games in the past where Carolina got in a tough situation, they got through it, and you saw that experience kind of carry over and show up 
at a later date in the ACC season. When you look at the, the, this schedule, though, from, from top to bottom and just kind of going off of recency bias here where, you know, last year Carolina played, you know, they were in the, the, the Phil Knight Invitational, the PK-85. They had, you know, the still the CBS Sports Classic. Uh, that was against Ohio State. You finished up the ACC Big Ten Challenge, you know, and just knowing that all the big games that Carolina has played over the years – is this the is this the toughest non conference schedule that comes to mind, or have you seen other ones in in, in past years where or the or maybe other instances stand out? You would say, you know what? In hindsight, that schedule was tougher than we thought it was going in. Ah, man. I mean, it's got to be close, right? I mean, just in recent years. I mean that that one that they had back in twenty nineteen. The, the 1920 season where they really struggled. I mean, you're talking about Oregon in the final game in the battle for Atlantis that they played in the third place game. Ohio State after that. Now, remember, they got absolutely killed in that game. That was ACC Big Ten Challenge. And then at Gonzaga. Yep. So that one, that I mean, that one recently comes to mind. The thing about this one is I don't know if there's ever been a time where from the second round on of from the Battle of Fort Lannis through, through – I'll even throw Oklahoma in there. Carolina could very well – very easily lose all those games. Yeah, I mean – and, and I don't think I've seen that in a non-conference schedule in my lifetime. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely – I mean, there's some stretches here just looking. I mean, you're right, though. There Usually a lot of these have a sort of easier opponent sandwiched in. Like another one, I mean, you go back to Kobe White's freshman season in 18-19. That was nuts. They played Texas, who they lose to in a neutral site game. I was I in Las I, Vegas. In Vegas. I don't remember what tournament that The Las was. Vegas Invitational. Was that what they called it? Yes. Uh, you had UCLA, who they then beat, who was number 17 in the country at the time, at Michigan. Yep, ACC Big Ten Challenge. You then go and welcome Gonzaga to the Smith Center. Remember, at that by that time, not, uh, people did not think Carolina was going to win that game. Nope. And then you go neutral site in the United Center for the CBS Sports Classic against Kentucky, who is ranked 19. So, like, you're, I get what you're saying because they don't have – because in between those games that I just said, so, yeah, UCLA, Texas, UCLA, Michigan were all in a row. But then you had UNC Wilmington, and then it was Gonzaga and Kentucky back-to-back. I definitely think there have probably been tougher non-conference schedules, but – this one definitely lines up to be an extremely difficult one, especially if you then sandwich that conference game in there. Like, let's say that's what we saw the first year that they tried to do that to Carolina, and it was Virginia on the road. Or, so I mean, if it, if it's a team like that, if it's a ranked team on the road, I got. I mean, that's that's a, as. A difficult a stretch as we've seen in a while. So, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's definitely up there. But I think at this point, this is just Carolina when they go out into the non-conference. Yeah. You know, they are going to play extremely difficult schedules to try to test themselves. You know, they they don't have that true road game. And, I mean, you go back, like, go back to, tw- to uh, 2018-19. Started the season on the road at Wofford. Followed it on the road to Elon. And then that game against Michigan that I meant 
that mentioned was on the road, not to mention three neutral site games. So that would probably be the concern about the schedule. But, yeah, I mean, it's up there, but I don't think it's the most difficult non-conference schedule ever. I know what my answer is to this question, but I'll ask you first. Most attractive non-conference matchup? Oh, man. Um, to me, I think it's pretty easy. I mean, I guess. I mean, look, it's you've got the rivalry aspect of Kentucky, Carolina. I mean, UConn. Oh, man. That, could, that has the chance to be a really, really... That's the answer. Matchup. That's what I think too. But I, I look, the, the there is a long-standing rivalry with Kentucky that I think doesn't really get as much steam as it should. I, I think that is a legitimate battle of the blue bloods. We see it often enough. Well, the the issue is that no, it's a rivalry. Yes. We hate them, they hate us. They haven't played on either one's campus since 2015. Yeah, that's true, and I hate it. You know, I that's that's problematic. Like, you know, I I, I can well, remember as a kid, some of, some of the best environments for Carolina games have been like when Kentucky was coming to the Smith Center. It was usually the second best environment um, behind the Duke game. And you now, granted, when we go to Rupp, the memories there aren't fun because you know you, you lost in 20 in the 2012 year on with, with John Henson getting his shot blocked you went the year that Kentucky started 38 and 0 and they, they ran you out of the gym but it's it's kind of like when Carolina and Kansas will meet next year in Lawrence and two years from now in Chapel Hill it's as pure a form as college basketball as you're going to find with two blue bloods history tradition star power on the sidelines star power on the court and so, well, uh, hey, I'm going to tell you, if conference, conference realignment keeps going the direction it's going, we may see that twice a year. So, <laughs> y- y- you know, and look, the, they've played great games in the CBS Sports Classic. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the one that stands out is when they met in Las Vegas when Kentucky beat us the year that we won the national championship. But the answer is UConn because with UConn winning their fifth national championship since 1999, um, they have entered, you know, blue blood territory like Carolina. They've got their national championships from three different head coaches. Dan Hurley is a superstar, um, and he's going to build a, a, a program that somewhat models what Jim Calhoun had going back in the old Big East days. You put that game on MSG, and we just saw, I mean, Carolina went there for the first time last year since 2010. And it was, you, you could tell the energy, the excitement, the buzz for two unraked teams in the world's most famous arena. You put two, you would imagine, top 15 teams probably on the same court um, in 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 that uh, environment. Like you said, a lot of UConn fans will be there. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of Carolina fans from the New York area just from how much Coach Smith took the program there. And then how many became fans during the 50s when all their players went to North Carolina to play college basketball? And it's it's going to be a great measuring stick for Carolina. No matter what Carolina does against the battle in the battle for Atlanta, even if they win it, no matter what they do against Tennessee, like UConn's the standard because they're they're the defending national champion. And in a day and time where you don't see teams repeating, they're going to be a threat once again to at least get back to the Final Four. And so that's going to be a game where. There's going to be a lot, just kind of from the you know from the optic standpoint, 
that you're gonna you're gonna have your eyes on going into that. And then if you if people forget, these two teams scheduled a home and home in the mid two thousands. And, you know, there was a game where Carolina went to stores and they got embarrassed. And that was during Matt Doherty's, I think it was the second to last season as Carolina's head coach. And then Roy Williams' first year as Carolina's head coach. Rashad McCants hit a big three to upset the number one ranked Husky. So these two teams have played home and homes before. There's a little bit of history there. And, you know, with, with, it, with them now being a blue blood joining the likes of Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, UCLA, and Indiana, that game is as sexy as any in the non-conference and all of college basketball. I like how you're just throwing that out there, by the way. There are probably people that are listening to this that are probably like, they're not a blue blood. Why would he say that? But They're a blue blood. Yeah, well, I, I yeah. You got I five titles agree. since 99 with three different head coaches. You're you, could a blue argue, blood. you could argue the new blood conversation. But either way, they're a program that has been – I mean, you look – are. Are them in Carolina, are, are those the best two college basketball programs since the turn of the century? I mean, Villanova, I think, would have to throw their hat into the ring I mean, they've for just got how, consistent, how consistent they were under Jay Wright. Now, it's different now with— But look at where they won their titles. It was at the back end of Jay Wright's time there where you look at Carolina and Connecticut, it's kind of spanned throughout. Mm-hmm. So— I think there's an argument. That's what makes it so interesting. And, you know, you mentioned, look, Carolina, they've only lost one time in the six matchups with Connecticut before, and it was that game under Matt Doherty. So I think Carolina, I know, look, this is a team that, as you said, they reloaded. They're still going to be really, really good again this year. They're going to be a team that a lot of people are going to have as one of the favorites to win the national title again. A lot of they're they're going to be a sexy pick to go back to back. But you're right. I think that there there is enough there for Carolina. There will be a lot of support there for both sides. Carolina will still represent pretty well. And you know, I feel like that'll be that'll be one of those games too, just depending. I mean, I don't know where Carolina it, I don't need, I I mean, are we sure Carolina's going to even start the year preseason ranking? Yes. I mean, they probably will. Yes, they will. But it'll probably be towards the bottom of the preseason rankings because la- what happened last year. Yeah, the last like way too early top 25, I think I saw them like 14th or 15th. Okay, well, that's not bad. UConn could be the number one team in the country or pretty close to it. So this could be one of those chances for Carolina to sort of get a statement win early in the year. And depending on what happens in it in – you know, the Bahamas, what happens in the game against Tennessee? We don't know. This could be a this could be a huge game for Carolina. So yeah, there there's a lot of aspects to that game that are really great. And then you know, to follow it up with Kentucky, if that's what happens, if the, if there isn't a non or a conference game in there, I mean, man, that would be something special. Because I think both of those matchups are going to be tremendous this year. I I would personally like to request an ACC game. Feels like a good time to play Boston College. Just go ahead and get them out of the way. Um, That way we can kind of take a break from playing, you know, name brand programs in college basketball, not ones that are sponsored by New Balance. But, yeah, I mean, you know, when I I saw the UConn news, I was just like, okay, like I'm here for it. Um, Kentucky, I think the thing about us playing Kentucky was we were all caught off guard because this was supposed to be a UCLA year, but with them being playing in Atlanta – 
relatively close for both fan bases to travel. It makes sense to have Carolina and Kentucky meet um, in the South. The first time Carolina's played in Atlanta since the 2012 ACC tournament where they lost to Florida State uh, in the final of that event. Well, outside of playing... Uh, Georgia Tech whenever we go there. Well, I'm in like Phillips Arena. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean like when you go to Georgia Tech, I mean that's a high school gym in the ACC. So, um, nonetheless, uh, I mean just j- just a daunting uh, non-conference schedule, one that um, should have everyone's attention. And there's not – I mean once you get through the first three games of Radford, Lehigh, and then UC Riverside, there's really no days off for Carolina up until the end of the year before they get into ACC play. Great chance to build themselves an NCAA tournament resume, build some confidence and momentum for what we know will all be a grueling uh, non-conference schedule. So um, with that, guys, that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit the website. That's HeelToughBlog.com where we're, we're, we're getting closer to the start of the football season. We're taking you through all the things you need to know with position previews, Press conferences from the head coaches, the coordinators, the players, the, the uh, recruiting, anything you need to know coming out of Mac Brown's program, we've got you covered. As for basketball, a lot of the schedule news has come out over the last week and a half or so. We've had you covered with that. And anything that continues to trickle out on the basketball front, I will have you covered before you know it. We will be getting you ready for the start of the basketball season with a practice opening in September. As for the podcast, guys, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on every major podcasting platform. Most of them are on Spreaker, or not Spreaker, most of them are on Apple and Spotify. Just search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're like we said, once you get there, rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of of the show throughout the remainder of the offseason. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I want to thank Anthony once again for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.